Hello, I'm Jordan, and this is On Mike with Jordan Rich. You know, warriors and champions come in all shapes and sizes, and they're from all walks of life. Today, I'd like to introduce you to someone whom a former president of the United States called one tough guy. His name is Chuck Weiner. He's a Vietnam veteran who served in country in 1970 as a wartime correspondent and photographer. Like many vets, he was exposed to Agent Orange and decades later developed a serious life-threatening form of cancer. He beat the odds and the cancer back then, beat it a second time years later. But today, Chuck is suffering from kidney failure related to his wartime service. So he's doing what so many others are doing. He's waiting for a life-saving kidney donor to come forward. Now, I've known Chuck for many years and wanted him to share his story with you. One man's quest to survive. There's a website, kidneyforchuck.com. That's K-I-D-N-E-Y, the number four, and the name Chuck, kidneyforchuck.com, which details his own search, as well as the national story of organ donation and why there's such a need. So I invite you to listen to One Man's Story as we invite Chuck Weiner to join us on mic. Well, let's start with uh, where you are right now, Chuck. I've known you uh, off and on for many, many years, and I know you've battled through some pretty tough challenges, but bring us up to speed as to what's happening now. Well, um, my uh, kidneys are failing due to medical treatment made necessary from exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam. My story, you know, goes back to really 1990 from a health perspective. Um, I had been healthy, but um, I noticed uh, swelling in my ankles in 1990. And uh, after getting checked out, a week later, I found myself at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And Dr. Ken Anderson um, diagnosed me with a disease called multiple myeloma, a blood cancer. It was, um, I had basically a terminal illness. Mm. There was no cure for this cancer. And when I asked him what my life expectancy was likely to be, he said, one to two years. Uh, and that was pretty shocking. I was pretty sad, pretty upset. Didn't know quite what to do. <clears throat> I, uh, I had been in Vietnam and I knew I could get out in a year. I'd be okay if I could make it through that. But with cancer um, and no cure, I, I felt like I was in a box. I didn't have a way out. Mm. But then because it was Dana-Farber Cancer Institute <clears throat> and the great things they do, they were involved at the time in doing experimental bone marrow transplants. And <clears throat> fortunately for me, I had, a, I had a match with my brother. So we decided to roll the dice and, and go in for a bone marrow transplant. And I spent uh, six weeks in isolation at Dana-Farber and I was getting... Um, high dose chemotherapy and uh, full body radiation to kill the cancer, the, the, uh, the cancer cells <clears throat> and hopefully not kill me. I got through that because of the great people, scientists, researchers, nurses, everybody, doctors at Dana-Farber. Um, and I had my ups and downs. I had pneumonia. I was on a respirator. There were all kinds of complications, but at the end of the day, I got through the cancer and uh, was cancer-free for 17 years. Um, it unfortunately came back, but with the assistance of my brother's white cells and Dana-Farber doctors and chemo, I, I've been uh, disease-free since uh, mm. 
2017. And if I may add, you've done a lot of public speaking on the subject. <clears throat> you've lent your story to people to, to fundraise. I mean, it's been it's been a big part of your life, obviously personal battle, but also giving back. Yeah, there's a there's a great sense of satisfaction and reward that comes with <clears throat> going out and helping to raise funds for Dana-Farber cancer research. Um, I can't tell you how great these people are. When I sometimes go to Dana-Farber, I go into the labs and <clears throat> I, I thank these people. They don't, they don't always see patients, but I like to mm -hmm. thank them and tell them not just for me, but for the thousands of people that they have helped over the years stay alive and healthy. Um, and I've, anytime I've been asked, I've given, I've told my story to groups of uh, donors, investors, just patriots, peddlers, hmm. uh, any, any way I can help, I'm happy to do it. <clears throat> and um, if I can <clears throat> be so fortunate to get a kidney donor to uh, save my life again, I, you can be sure that I will be out there talking about kidney donations and helping people get living donors. Well, you're doing it right now, and obviously there's a, a very important mission to stay alive and stay well. Let's talk a little bit about how it's gotten to this point because it's directly related to the, the issues you had in the past and the treatment you had in the past. So is that the basic understanding that uh, the kidney disease is a direct result of the treatment or the Agent Orange or what? When I went through all the high-dose chemo and the radiation, um, it's like, you know, they, they throw poison in your body to cancel, kill the cells, the, the cancer cells. And, mm. uh, and, and the radiation burns the cells, you know, and I just, the, the kidneys got damaged at the time from all of that chemo and radiation. So it started 30 years ago and I have done a, a good job over the last 30 years. I, I, I eat healthy diet. I've exercised, um, I've done everything I can to keep my kidneys going. And they just sort of over the years have little by little by little deteriorated to the point where they're almost not functioning. But Chuck, it's important to note that with a transplant, and we'll talk about how that happens, you could bounce right back and, and live again uh, what we would call a normal life at your age, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can, you can come back. You can get strong, you can take care of yourself, and you can absolutely, I, I, I like to go out and nice day, I like to walk on a golf course and play nine holes. Um, I like to bike ride, you know, I like to swim. Uh, I like to live a, a good life, and I have a great wife who helps and supports me, and is helping me in this uh, effort to find a kidney donor, I can tell you that. She's, she's my marketing uh, guru here. Well, that's the reason you're here, because she reached out to me. And by the way, there's a website, kidney, the number four, Chuck, just the way it sounds, dot com, which has got your story and a lot of links to, say, the National Kidney Register. Tell me and tell the audience, first off, what steps uh, somebody takes in your position to find a kidney? What, Where are you registered and how does that work? So I am on the uh, list at the uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital trans in Boston. The waiting time in Boston, if you don't have a donor, is six years. So the best way I can get a kidney is to find somebody who is willing to give up one of their two kidneys to help save my life. It is not as difficult. I think there's uh, 
we have to work to demystify what it means to be a donor. The donor can be, be can give a kidney on my behalf. It doesn't have to be an exact match or blood type with me. Mm. They can do what's called a swap with somebody else who is an exact match. So anybody can save my life, not just somebody who is a direct match. Now, if I get a donor, I can get a kidney within a couple of months. But if I don't get a donor and I'm stay on the transplant list at the Brigham, it could take up to six. I've been on it for a year. It could take up to six years. Mm. And by the way, you mentioned your brother a couple of times in reading the website. He is dealing with some health issues and he's not the right candidate to help you out again, I guess, right? Yeah, that was uh, extremely disappointing to me because I have his bone marrow. So I had always anticipated he would be the perfect match for me if I ever got in trouble as I am now. But unbeknownst to me, he had some of his own kidney health issues. He did not qualify to uh, for a transplant, which was kind of devastating. But, you know, he'll be okay. And uh, we've moved on from that. You mentioned your wife, who's been the marketing guru, and she's done a remarkable job. Uh, you've gotten some attention. And in terms of where we are with the COVID pandemic, it, it's so difficult to get outside and, and make noise. But She's made some noise on social media. What kind of reaction have you had from people who know you and people who have stumbled upon the story? Debbie's an amazing uh, woman. Uh, she has a background in marketing and she was an executive. Um, she has she has developed a, uh, a website for me that you mentioned, kidneyforchuck.com. She has a Facebook page she developed, helped Chuck find a kidney a couple of newspaper articles, a magazine article is coming out, and she's in the process of doing uh, lawn signs. Um, the response has been pretty amazing. A lot of people express interest, but they often don't follow through. They, they, they write back to us saying, oh, of course I'd like to give Chuck a kidney. I get especially a lot of, uh, being a veteran, a Vietnam veteran, I get a lot of uh, veterans across the country from all over, from the South and Texas and Alabama, and people, as soon as they see the, the the website or the Facebook page, they say, I'll donate. Then it turns out they, they may go into the uh, microsite at the Brigham, and uh, but they fail to, to fill out the paperwork or, you know, follow through in the process. Well, it only takes one uh, individual. It only takes one, and there are obviously lots of possibilities. Let's divert a little bit, talk about your story in general, and we'll come back to the, the need for the kidney. But your experience in Vietnam was pretty interesting in that you were a combat photographer and correspondent. And I was reading about your work flying helicopters and being in the midst of battle chronicling those things. Uh, certainly something that stays with you for the rest of your life, doesn't it? Yeah, it's um, it kind of kind of an experience that puts your life in perspective when you're there. It's a whole different reality. It's a different world. Um, I was very fortunate. I, I was a member of the uh, Army's First Aviation Brigade, and they they held uh, they they had most of the uh, helicopter units under them throughout the, the, the uh, country. I was the editor of their monthly brigade magazine. And uh, in that position, I got to fly with 
different units from the Mekong Delta in the south up to the north, Pleiku and other areas. And I'd fly with different units and uh, hear their stories and see what they were doing on their missions. And um, it was it was a, an interesting experience. I got a chance to sit next to the door gunner on the outside and take photos. But apparently I, I, I was exposed, I guess, to Agent Orange. And um, so that's a downside of that experience. Yeah. We know of many, many veterans from that era who were adversely affected. It's a great tragedy and, and a part of history that we need to examine so as not to repeat it. Let's move forward because uh, in your return to the States, your dad being a doctor, you decided to get into the healthcare industry, to, into medicine, but not as a doc. What did you do when you returned? I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I returned, but... Um... I had always had an interest in healthcare. Again, my dad, as you said, was a doc, and I felt very comfortable around physicians and people engaged in healthcare. And um, so I ended up working first for the government around, um, this was around maybe 1973 or four. And I went to work in um, human services and public health. And I worked there for you know, six or seven years and uh, got some experience in health policy and then moved on and went to uh, Blue Cross of Massachusetts, where I was involved in developing HMOs around the state for six years. And then I moved on and I, 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 so my career includes time working at Metro West Medical Center, working at Beth Israel, working for the Harvard uh, Medical Faculty Physicians, at uh, the BI. And um, I spent 45 years trying to um, improve uh, the healthcare system, trying to assure that everybody has healthcare, I see as a right, not a privilege, and, um, and trying to make it quality care and affordable care. And that's kind of been my mission in life in my 45 years in healthcare. So you've had 45 years of professional service in healthcare. At the same time, you've had a lot of direct connection with some of the healthcare professionals who have saved your life and will save your life again. Let's talk about President Obama for a second. I don't get too many folks on the podcast who have a direct connection to a president, but you do. And it's, I don't know the story, so I'd love you to share it with us. A friend of mine, just before uh, President Obama was entering his second term before the election, a good friend of mine was holding a fundraiser for him at his home. He invited me to attend and he said to me, you know, Chuck, if you get a chance, you know, you won't have a lot of time, but you might get a minute or two with the president. You should tell him about the things you're doing in healthcare." Cause he, he said to me, he really wants to hear from people. He likes to hear what people have to say, you know? And I said, okay, well, so Debbie and I, my wife, we, uh, we went in for a photo op before dinner we go into this room and there's an American flag there and it's only uh, the photographer and uh, maybe a secret service person. And my wife and I and the president are in the room and we have our photos taken and I introduce myself and Debbie and say, uh, Mr. President, um, I'm Chuck Weiner. I am a, um, a, a Vietnam vet and a two-time cancer survivor. And he, he puts his arm around me and he gives me a hug and he says, well, Chuck, you must be one tough guy. And I said, Mr. President, 
What's tough is implementing healthcare reform. And I happen to work for the doctors at the BI, and I think we're doing some really interesting things in the area of risk contracts. So as I started talking to him about it, he looks at me and he kind of, he puts his hand on my chest. He says, Chuck, I want you to come to Washington and I want you to meet with my health policy team. I want them to hear more about what's going on there. And so fast forward a few, a couple of months and it takes a while to get set up. And I, along with a couple of my colleagues, we fly down to Washington. We get to the White House and we spend maybe an hour and 50 minutes in the White House with all of his top health policy people talking health policy. And it was probably the most uh, incredible, amazing part of my healthcare career, moment in my healthcare career. Interesting story. Uh, one that, again, not too many people can boast uh, having a connection with a president, any president, but that's a testament to your uh, expertise in the area. So let's get back to the matter at hand. Uh, it's currently as we record this, uh, the end of March 2021, it's important for this message to get out. I mean, obviously, we'd love to do this for everybody. I happen to know you, and I happen to feel that I can do my small part to uh, bring attention to your cause, but it's critical. How, what's the timetable look like? I mean, uh, you're not on dialysis yet, but you're trying to stave that off, I guess. I am trying desperately. I'm, my, uh, my kidney function is very, very low, and... Um, I've been trying to avoid dialysis for, you know, as long as possible. Um, I really don't want to live the rest of my life tethered to a machine. Um, And, you know, if I have to, I will go on dialysis to stay alive, but it would be best if I could get a a donor as soon as possible. Um, There have been people that have expressed interest and um, what they need to do, if you're at all interested is to um, is to go to the website and go to the uh, you know follow the props and you know fill out a questionnaire for the Brigham. I, I, I've looked at donor stories and if I might, I would say one that was interesting was that I, there's a, a man named Daniel Rosen who wrote, "When I donated my kidney five years ago, I was in the hospital for two days. When I came home." I was sore for several days and only needed Tylenol. A week later, I did a 20-mile bike ride. Donating my kidney was a great opportunity to be part of something glorious. And the reason I tell you that, Jordan, is because I wanted to demystify for the donor. The, The fact is you can go in, you have two healthy kidneys. If you give up one, the other one will actually enlarge over time. You shouldn't lose any capacity. You'll be just as healthy as you were before. And if, if you um, and, and if you go in, it's not necess- it's it's surgery, but it's in all likelihood it's likely to be a laparoscopy, a very small incision, and and you're out of the hospital within a couple of days, and you're back to being normal and doing whatever you did before. And, um, you know, there's like 100,000 people in this country looking for kidneys. And I think they only do about 5,000 a year. So there's a great opportunity for people if they understand that they can, if they're healthy and they, and they don't have, um, you know, um, 
high, you know, really high blood pressure or um, kidney disease, I mean, um, or uh, diabetes or cancer, you know, they'll likely will qualify. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to demystify what it means to be a donor. And by doing so, you're helping not only yourself, but many, many others. We want to remind people that the website is kidney, then the number four in place of the word for, kidney4chuck.com, kidney, the number four, chuck.com. There's also a Facebook page. You can link to it from the site. And uh, needless to say, social media, there are a lot of knocks on social media, but uh, it does a lot of good, too, <laughs> in cases like this. Yeah, so, it sure uh, does. You are, I will quote President Obama, you are one tough guy and you've been through a lot, but uh, you're far from defeated by any stretch of the imagination. So we want people to rally around you and rally around others who are in need. And uh, I'm glad we were able to have you on to tell your story and to share a little bit with our audience. And, and who knows, we might be uh, on to something here. Jordan, thank you so much. I very, very much appreciate your responding to my request. And um, I wish you all the best. And we certainly wish the best to you and your family, Chuck. Now, if you'd like to help, visit kidneyforchuck.com. That's K-I-D-N-E-Y. And then the number for Chuck, C-H-U-C-K, kidneyforchuck.com. There's also the National Kidney Registry, and their website is kidneyregistry.org. And one more organization, one that I work with closely, matchingdonors.com, a venue where patients and potential donors can meet and communicate and hopefully expedite the process of organ donation. I want to thank you all for subscribing and downloading this podcast dedicated to the concept of conversation in celebration of the arts and life. For more, visit jordanrich.com. Until next time, be well so you can do good. Take care.